You're listening to the Highland Baptist Church Network and the audio ministry of our church. Pastor Brian Calhoun has been going through the series Unashamed from the Book of Romans. Let's join Pastor Brian for today's message. The nature of God. No one really can truly fathom the nature of God. Today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 36. And we're going to be looking at this subject about God's ways. And I thought that the video would be a good setup for the message because God's ways are not our ways. God's nature, God's ways are so much higher than our ways. We, we cannot really find them out. You know, many times I've talked with people and they, and they will talk about their future, their future, whether it be they're graduating from high school, do I go to college, do I go to the workforce, you know, and then they wonder, will I get married, will I not get married, I just wish I had a blueprint from God, and I say, I don't think that you would probably really want that blueprint from God, because you see, it'd be kind of like that blanket, kind of like the blanket to where when you look at it, you think, um, on the back side, Lord, what are you doing? All of this stuff has happened to me in my life. There's some good stuff, and there's some bad stuff. There's some things I want to celebrate and some things I want to forget. But then God sees the other side. He sees the beauty that he is making. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about how he can take and make beauty from ashes. Can you believe that? The Bible says God can take and make beauty from ashes, and he can do that in your life and my life, and that's because his ways are so much different than our ways. So if you have your copy of God's Word, do find Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, uh, verses 25 through 36, and this morning we're going to notice six distinct qualities of God. Six distinct qualities of God. Now understand, all six of these could be one sermon or a series of sermons in themselves, okay? So this is not going to be an in-depth type of study of these six qualities. It just kind of gives you more of an overview for today. But hopefully something you can take and apply to your life and understand when you leave here today. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse number 25. If you'll join me in standing in honor and reverence. For the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written... The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this covenant is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so... These also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable 
are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Or who has first given him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Father, we come before you right now, Lord, and I ask that you would take and just give me the words to say here today. Lord, I pray to hide me behind your cross so I can preach your word with passion, with conviction, without any reservation. And I pray that today, all of us, as we leave this place today, can join with David when he said it was good to be in your house. Lord, for those here that Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they're struggling with faith. And they're, they have questions and they need answers. And Father, I realize I don't have all the answers, but you do. And so, Lord, would you give them what they need today? Would you let them understand today? And, Lord, as I preach this today, I feel so inadequate because of the subject matter. But, Lord, I pray that you would just speak through me here today. And, Lord, that you would be the one, your spirit be the one to touch hearts and change lives through your word and through your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated here today. At the bottom of the outline that's actually in the middle part of your worship guide, there is a quote that I think I first heard it from Tony Evans. That's where I thought I heard it from. But I looked it up this week. And I think this guy lived a little bit before Tony Evans. His name is St. Jerome. He lived in, uh, from 347 A.D. until about 419, 420 A.D. And uh, he, was a, uh, he was a type of religious leader, a theologian. And this is what he said. He said, the scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without fear of drowning. And deep enough for a theologian to swim in without ever touching the bottom. Isn't that really good? That's really good. I mean, I'm thinking, when I read that, I thought about today that I feel like this, I'm barely, barely, barely touching the surface is what I feel like, right? But then when I thought about that, I thought about even Wednesday night. How you know, the Lord can save a child who comes to him in faith. He can also save a 95-year-old man or woman who comes to him in faith. Age doesn't matter. Stage doesn't matter. It just matters the position of your heart toward God. That's all that matters is that you trust in him. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so, today I want us to notice six distinct qualities of God. Um, and this passage here, verses 25 through 36, is all about God himself. That's what it is about. Paul saved his kind of best witness for the last in these chapters 9, 10, and 11. And let's back up. Chapter 9 is about Israel's past. Chapter 10 was about Israel's present. Chapter 11 is about Israel's future. Okay, so chapter 9, 10, 11. And um, Paul proved that the very character and work of God were involved in the future of Israel. Men may dispute about prophecy and differ in their interpretations, 
But every person ought to realize that he is dealing right now with God's people with Israel. So first of all, let's notice God's program. God's program here in verse 25. He says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What happened to Israel is all a part of God's plan. And we need to understand that. This is all a part of God's plan. Mom, can I get that blanket real quick? The guys running the live stream probably want to shoot me right now, coming down off the platform. <laughs> this right here, this right here is reminiscent and should be symbolic of God's plan. God's plan, when we look at it, we don't really understand, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why is it happening in this way? What's going on with my life? And God's ways are just so much, really, the word that keeps coming to my mind is better. His ways are so much better than our ways. His ways are always going to be the very best for us. And I'm going to keep this and use it probably a little bit more still. So, the blinding here that Paul talks about, or the hardening, some translations talk about hardening of Israel as a nation. Once again, we looked at this last week, it's neither total nor is it final. It is partial and temporary. How long will it last, though? Well, God tells us how long it will last. Look at the end of verse 25. What in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There is a fullness for Israel in chapters 11, verse 12. Fullness of Gentiles, 11, verse 25. Today, God in his grace is visiting the Gentiles. And he's taking out a people for his name. Individual Jews are being saved, of course, are being saved. But this present age is primarily a time when God is visiting the Gentiles and building his church. When this present age here that we're living in has kind of run its course and the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's what he means there. Then God will once more deal with the nation of Israel. Romans 11 verse 25 is one of the kind of until verses of the Bible. Now if you want to write these down, you can read them later on. But there's other places in the Bible that are important until verses, until passages to read. Like Matthew 23 verses 32 through 39. Luke 21 and verse 24. Psalm 110 and verse 1, and there are other references that you could look at too. But this is one of those until verses, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. It's reassuring that God knows what time it is and that he is never late in fulfilling his will. I'm reminded over in the book of Galatians where it says, In the fullness of time, Jesus came. In the fullness of time. Sometimes in our own lives, we think, Lord, you're bit, you were late. You showed up late. Guess what? Even his friends thought so. You remember the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus? They sent word to Jesus saying, Lazarus, your friend is sick. You need to come see him. He's sick. We know you can heal him. Come see him. And Jesus waits. And then here's a passes. And when he gets there, it's been four days 
and they say, by now, first of all, you're late, Jesus. You should have already been here. And secondly, by now, he stinks. That's what they say. Jesus wasn't late. He was right on time. When he came there, he went to the tomb, and they said, take me and show me where he is. And the Bible says Jesus wept. And I believe that Jesus could have wept for many reasons. Theologians, that little verse, Jesus wept, they debate on what he was weeping for, why he was weeping. I want to tell you something. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, and I believe right there where it said Jesus wept, I believe you saw 100% God and man at the same time. I believe you saw his humanity. He was weeping for his friend that had died. He was weeping for him. He's weeping for Mary, for Martha. He was weeping for him. And as the 100% God-man, he was also weeping because Lazarus was one of his followers. And he knew he was, when he was calling him back, Lazarus already tasted heaven. He'd already tasted that. The Bible says the absent from the body, the present of the Lord. So he saw him 100% God, 100% man. But even people today, from Jesus' time until now, matter of fact, even the Old Testament before that, people have wondered, God, you're late. Why have you been late? God's never been late, not one time. He's always right on time. He's not one second early. He's not one second late. He is always right on time. His timing is impeccable. It is perfect in every way. God's ways. I'm so very thankful that God's ways are not my ways. Aren't you? I am very thankful for that. The longer I live, the more thankful I am. When I was younger, I was so wise. I always thought, man, I know better than God does. God, you should have been at this time or that way or done it this way or that way. And now I realize the older that I get, God, what is your way? God, what do you want? His timing is always perfect. We may not understand it. We may be looking at the back side of the tapestry, okay? But God's timing is impeccable. It is always on time. It's perfect in every way. The second thing that I want you to see, the second quality of God is God's promise. God's promise in verse number 26. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. The reference here is in Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21. And really you can read all the way down through Isaiah 6 if you wanted to, to get that kind of the complete picture there. God has promised to save his people, and he will keep his promise. If God's promised something, he will keep it. You know, y'all see, you know, you see the time we're in there, right? You know what it's for, right? Florida Gators, right? Okay. And um, one thing that I cannot promise you, I hope that I can. I cannot promise you they will meet Alabama again in the SEC championship. I can't promise you that. I hope they do. I hope they beat Georgia, Brother Phil, on the 30th of October. I mean, I hope they do. I hope they come back. I hope they meet them again there in Atlanta to play for the SEC championship. And this time, Lord, a different outcome. A different outcome. But I can't promise you that, right? I can't promise you they're going to win. I can't promise you that they're going to beat a team that they should beat, Right? Yesterday, there was a lot of upsets. Yesterday, wasn't there? If you watch football, there was. There's a lot of upsets yesterday that happened in college football. 
Clemson gets beat by North Carolina State. And then you have Texas A&M losing to Arkansas. And then others, others happen. Those are the ones that I, that I know off the top of my head. There's other things that happen. And I'm sure that all the commentators and the prognosticators, they did not have either one of those teams losing to those other teams. Maybe they may have thought Arkansas may pull it out because Arkansas is looking tough this year, blah, 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 whatever. But no one could promise what's going to happen. No one could even promise what's going to happen after you leave here today. You may have plans to say, I'm going to go do thus and so, but it may change. When God promises something, it is as good as done. It's as good as done. There are those who interpret this as meaning that to individuals through the gospel will be saved. Um, but I read one commentator, Warren Wiersbe, and this is his conviction about this, and I agree with him, um, that the prophet kind of has a nat- national conversion in mind. All Israel shall be saved. Look right here in verse 26. All Israel will be saved. Does not mean that every Jew who has ever lived will be converted, but that Jews living during the time when the Redeemer returns will see him, receive him, and be saved. If you want a good reference from that, look at Zechariah chapter 12 and 13. It will give the details there. It seems to me that there are too many details in these Old Testament prophecies of a national restoration for Israel for us to take and just kind of spiritualize them and apply them to the church today. God's promise, His promise is guaranteed. It will not be stopped. It will not be stopped. Praise the Lord. God's ways, I'm so thankful that God's ways are not my ways. So first of all, one of his qualities is his program. His timing is always impeccable. God's promise, his promise is guaranteed. Now God's pact, his pact. This is, of course, here a continuation of the quotation from Isaiah 59 as um, Paul continues writing. But the emphasis is on the covenant of God with Israel, the pact that he's made with Israel. God chose Israel in his grace and not because of any merit in her. If you want to look that up, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 11, and then Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, you will see that God just chose Israel. He just chose her out of the nations of the world. If the nation was chosen because of its, was not chosen because of its goodness, can it be rejected because of its sin? No. Israel was not chosen because of her goodness, and therefore it cannot be rejected because of its sin. Election. The word election means grace and not merit. The Jewish people are enemies to the believing Gentiles because of their hostile attitude toward the gospel. But to God, the Jewish people are beloved for the Father's sakes. God will not break his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The pact he made with them is going to continue on. His covenant is permanent. It will never, ever, ever, ever end. We may not understand his ways. But aren't we glad that God always knows what's best? I can think about it like this. When I was growing up, I'm sure... As a child, I was told not to do certain things. I may not have understood at the time 
why I was told not to do this or why I was told to do this, okay, one way or the the other, I may have understood, but I just trusted that my parents always wanted what was best for me, right? And so that's what we do with God. You may not understand his ways, and believe me, you're never going to understand his ways. You're never going to understand why he's doing what he's doing. You may be able to look back and then see the picture that he's made, but the reality is at the time, it probably looks like a bunch of garbly goop when you're looking at it from the backside. I love the children's message this morning. I wanted to share this poem that Sarah referenced to the children. It's by Corey Tim Boom, and it's called Life is But a Weaving or the Tapestry Poem. My life is but a weaving between God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper and not the underside. And so, not till the loom is silent and the shuttle ceases to fly, will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. That's upside down. Hey, it still looks wrong, right? Um, when God takes in your life, and sometimes you have some dark days, some of that dark thread that, that comes along in your life. Or you have some time that you kind of just want to forget. You kind of want to forget that it ever even happened. Just know that the Lord can and he does and he will take and use whatever happened in your life. He can use it for your good and for his glory. He always does. We may not always see it, but he always does. God's pact, his covenant is permanent. It will not end. God's ways, I'm so very thankful that God's ways are not my ways. The fourth kind of quality of God is God's personality. God's personality in verse 29. It says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. In Malachi 3, in verse 6, it says, I am the Lord, I change not. And then in Numbers 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. God's gifts to Israel and God's calling of Israel cannot be taken back and it cannot be changed or God would cease to be true to his own perfect nature, to his personality. The fact that Israel may not enjoy the gifts or live up to their own privileges as an elect nation does not affect the fact one bit. God will be consistent with himself and true to his word no matter what men may do. We looked at this many, many, many weeks ago now. But in Romans chapter 3, in verse 3, it says this. 
For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And then verse 4 says, certainly not. You see, what God does is perfect. And just because we may fail, doesn't mean God has failed. There's a good illustration of this. Let's say today we go down there are a lot of people like Whataburger down there. We go down to Whataburger. And I walk into Whataburger, and I see about 15 or 20 of our, our church folks there. And I count them up, and I say, okay, there's 20 people here. And I go up to the cashier, and I say, look, all these 20 people here, I'm paying for all 20 of them. I'm paying for it. Now, we're not going to do that today, okay? <laughs> But I'm paying for all 20 of these. And I've already paid for it. And I said, here, here's my money right here to pay for all 20 of these. We're going to pay for all 20 of them. And everybody comes through. And so there's a bunch of them saying, all right, Pastor Brian, thank you. Lord, make my double size, please. I, you know, whatever. And, and, they're, and they're so happy for it. Then others say, no, 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 I won't do it. I, you, you, you keep your money. I, I, I'm going I'm to pay for my own. Does it change the fact that I already paid for it? doesn't change the fact that I've already paid for it. Whose fault was that then? Was it my fault or their fault? It was theirs for not accepting the gift that was given. And so it doesn't make God's plan ineffective just because some will not believe. His nature is matchless. No one else is like him. No one else is like the Lord. And I'm so glad that my ways are not, well, no, I'm so, I'm so glad, back up, back up. I'm so thankful that God's ways are not my ways. I want my ways to be God's ways. God's way, that one not even sound right. God's present. God's present. What does he give to us? This is another distinct quality of God in verses 30 through 32. What does he do? Because of the unbelief of Jews, you Gentiles were saved, said Paul. Now may it be that through your salvation, Israel will come to know Christ. So Paul repeatedly reminded the saved Gentiles that they had a spiritual obligation to Israel to provoke them to jealousy. Israel's hardness is only in part, which means that individual Jews can be saved. God has not included all in unbelief. Jews and Gentiles, so that all might have the opportunity to be saved by grace. There is no difference. There is no difference. If God can save Jews by His grace and mercy today, why can He not save them in the future? The answer is He can save them in the future. We must remember that God chose the Jews so that the Gentiles might be saved. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. I think I mentioned this before. I've been here you know, going on 15 years now. I think I probably mentioned this before, but when I was in seminary, we had to write an exegesis paper in my Hebrew class. We had to choose a passage to do it on, and I chose Genesis 12, 1 through 6, I believe, if I remember correctly, and wrote 35 pages on six verses. Had to do all this research on all this kind of stuff, and, and in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God said to Abraham, in you shall all the families of earth be blessed. That was God's promise to Abraham. 
The tragedy was that Israel became exclusive and failed to share the truth with the Gentiles. They failed to do that. God declared both Jews and Gentiles to be lost and condemned. This meant he could have mercy on all because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Look verse 30. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet now have obtained mercy through that disobedience, even so these also have now been that, disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God's committed to them all to disobedience, they might have mercy on all. We must remember that God chose the Jews so that the Gentiles might be saved. His wonderful, marvelous grace and mercy is a present to all of us. That's his free gift, his gift to us. God's ways, I'm so thankful that God's ways are not my ways. And the sixth quality I want you to see this morning is God's perception. God's perception. You could say God's wisdom, but like a good preacher, I want another P. So it's God's perception, God's wisdom. Having contemplated God's great plan of salvation for Jews and Gentiles, all Paul could do was sing a hymn of praise. Someone once said this, theology becomes doxology. Only a God as wise as our God could take the fall of Israel and turn it into salvation for the world. Only God could do that. His plans will not be aborted, nor will his purposes lack fulfillment. No human being can fully know the mind of the Lord. And the more that we study his ways, the more we offer him praise. As I was studying this week, and I read that, I can't remember who said that theology becomes doxology. Someone once said it. I just took and sat there, and to myself, I thought about these words. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You can sing if you want to. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. I preached a series on the, uh, not just on that psalm, but on doxology, on the grace of God. And uh, we sang that, I believe, every Sunday. Um, for about three or four weeks, we did that. And... Uh, I don't know how many of you grew up this way, but I grew up this way, um, going to Ray's Chapel. And uh, we'd take the offering up, and they'd go back to the back. And then we'd all stand up and sing doxology as they brought the offering forward. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And really, it's a good picture for us to understand that our theology of God, our understanding of God, should lead us to praise of God. It should lead us just to give him all the glory, honor, and praise. And God's perception, God's wisdom is mysterious. Who can fully understand his wisdom? 
when Israel recovers from her fall and enters into the fullness, the world will experience the riches of God's grace as never before. When Jesus Christ returns and sits on David's throne to reign over his kingdom, then Israel will be reconciled and received, and it will be like a resurrection. The scriptures are shallow enough for a baby to come and drink without fear of drowning. And deep enough for a theologian to swim in without ever touching bottom. To me, this quote from St. Jerome is just another way of saying, our ways are not God's ways. God's ways. I'm so thankful that God's ways are not my ways. Another way that God's ways are not our ways is in what it takes to have a relationship with him. You see, most of society, most of our world, what appeals to us is, what do I have to do for it? There's no free lunch. You're not going to give anything away for free. So what must I do for it? And so we want to know, what must I do to be saved? Matter of fact, question asked of Jesus, what must I do to be saved? That's the wrong question. What's already been done so I can be saved? It's not about doing, but what's already been done in Jesus on the cross. When he died on the cross for our sins, he did all that needed to be done. And what we do is, the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we are saved. Believe on Jesus, and then you will be saved. It's a free gift. You mean no works, preacher? No works. The Bible says, for by grace men saved through faith, and this not of yourselves is the gift of God, not by works. Lest anyone should boast. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says if you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And you can be saved today. If you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus today, you can do it right now, right where you are. You can give your heart and life to him today. Minister, everyone to stand, please, with your heads bowed. And eyes closed, no one looking around, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If today you know in your heart of hearts that you need to place your own faith and your own trust in Jesus, you've never done that, then I'm going to ask you to pray a simple prayer. Not because the prayer, there's any power in the prayer. It's the power really comes from your position before Christ. What do I mean by that? It means what is your soul saying right now? What is your soul revealing to you right now? Is your soul revealing to you that you are one of the Lord's? Well, if it is, praise God for that. And I ask you to just begin praying for all those around you. So if you already know the Lord, you already have placed your faith and your trust in him, please start praying for those around you. You may not know their name. That's okay. God does. You just pray for them. But if today as you look in your soul of souls, you look inside yourself, and God's telling you, hey, you need to trust me. Hey, you need to believe on me today. Then I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And in this prayer, as you pray this prayer, 
I ask you to mean it from your soul to God's, from the depth of your being to God's. And when you do that, the Bible says that Jesus comes, he becomes a part of you, he comes into your life, and he is not only your Lord, the one who gives you uh, your leadership each and every day, but he also is a Savior, the one who forgives you of all of your sins. And so if you want to do that today, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. You can say it out loud or silently. It doesn't really matter how you say it because the Lord's the one that needs to hear you. And he can hear you whether you say it to yourself or you say it out loud. Sometimes out loud just helps people, but you do as the Lord tells you to do. So if that's what you'd like to do today, you'd like to trust in Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer from, from your soul to God's right now. Just say this, dear Jesus, I come before you right now. And as it says in your word, the best way I know how, I place all of my trust, all of my belief on you, Jesus, today. I believe on you. I believe that you died, that you were buried, and that you rose again. I believe that you're going to come back one day. I believe on you, Jesus. Thank you so much for saving me. Be my Lord. Lead me every day of my life. And thank you for being my Savior and for giving me of my sin. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You have just heard a message from God's Word, and now it's your chance to respond. What is God calling you to do in response to today's message? Let us know by going to hbcmolino.com forward slash life. We'd love to connect with you. Thanks for joining us today on the Highland Network. Enjoy your day.